you're listening to For Eternity and Until, where together we uncover how to bring heaven to earth in our everyday choices and live the life we were created for. I'm your host, Tori Mayhine, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's get this party started. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to the For Eternity and Until podcast. This is going to be lesson four of our series through the biblical book of Ephesians. And my prayer is that this study would feel like I'm just sitting on your favorite comfy couch with your favorite beverage in hand, and I'm just helping you read and understand and apply what you're reading when it comes to studying God's word. It's a blessing for me, and I hope it's been a blessing for you. If it has, would you take a second and just take a screenshot of this podcast episode and tag me at For Eternity and Until and tell me what you're learning. Um, It's simple, but it's just such deep-rooted encouragement for me as I'm releasing this content and I'm praying and believing that Holy Spirit is ministering to you as we open God's word, because that's what he always does, right? No matter what, in each season, we open up his word and he's faithful to meet us. He's faithful to reveal new elements of his character. And it's always just so beautiful. Before we dive into the content for today, I just want to share with you about our sponsor, Talk About, which is a resource that's provided for you through the company Awanas. I don't know if you ever did Awana back in the day, if you grew up in the church. I know I did lots of memory Bible verse work, and I had the privilege of talking to the group of leaders that are putting together this content directly, and their heart is for helping families disciple children in an intentional way through conversation in their everyday The resources that they provide online are really simple to follow. I took my kids out to a Mexican food restaurant earlier this week, and we sat down with the talk about material, and it's what led our conversation as we sat there and ate some chips and salsa, and we talked about our faith and what it means to run the race with endurance in our faith and how we could do that together as a family, and it was a really beautiful time. I've put a link in the caption below so you could check it out, and if you use the code all caps ETERNITY, then you get one month free. All right, let's dive into the book of Ephesians together. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are going through the second half of chapter two of Ephesians today. Last lesson, we learned all about the grace of God, this unmerited favor that God gave to us as a gift through faith that this work of redeeming us and restoring relationship with God was not something that we could do on our own, but it was because of God's great mercy and his great love for us that he came down himself, paid the price himself and redeemed us and seated us with him in heavenly places. And we are a masterpiece and a workmanship created in his image to do the good works that he planned before the beginning of time for us to walk in. That means you, that means me and our doing rests fully in this finished work in Christ and this grace that we can only receive from him. So this first half of uh, the chapter two of Ephesians is all about restoring relationship with God. And the second half that we're going to talk about today, verses 11 through 22, is all about our restoration within mankind, our restoration to each other. 
My encouragement for you before we do anything else is to pause this recording and take a moment to pray. If you're just sitting down and you're grabbing your cup of coffee or maybe your kids are around or you're on a treadmill or walking or (laughs) driving, I don't know where you are right now, but I think it's so important that when we come before God's word, that we prepare our hearts, that we open ourselves up to the direction of the Holy Spirit. This is the living word of God that is able to transform our lives, transform us from the inside out. These words hold authority. They come straight from heaven. And so pause, breathe, take a deep breath, fill your lungs up with air, become fully present here before we read God's word. Because we want to come before him in reverence, but we also want to come before him with expectancy. And we want to come before him in confidence. Because of his grace, we can come boldly, directly to him. So pause, pray, breathe, and then let's read together. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, You were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, and he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, so verse 11 starts with the word, therefore. And I'm going to pull out my little corny Bible study sayings. If you ever see therefore, you got to ask, what is it there for? And if you go back through verses 1 through 10 and read them again, he is not starting a new idea or, or laying down a new concept. He's actually building off of the concept that he's already laid down for us in verses 1 through 10. So because we are restored to Christ through grace, by faith, um, therefore, we have to remember 
where we came from and who we are apart from this unmerited grace and this favor that was given to us by God through Jesus. Verse 11 says, therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You, he's talking to the Ephesians, but he's also talking to us. If you're not of Jewish heritage, then he's talking to all of us. We were Gentiles. This was the greatest division of all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles. So circumcision of Jewish boys was symbolic of being cut free from sin and being set apart by God. You can read more about this in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 14, if you want to go read more. This was obviously an external act that reflected this internal desire and covenant between God and the Jewish people to be set apart for his holiness and to be the lineage in which God would fulfill the promise given to the Jewish people that a Messiah would come. And so this was not just for the individual themselves, but it was also for their offspring. So it affected the generations. The Jews were given this responsibility and called to carry this high calling to bring about the lineage of the Messiah for generations, for thousands and thousands of years. They were the chosen people of God. It wasn't until Jesus that the Gentiles were grafted into this promise. Before this, our reality was the same as the reality for these Ephesian Gentiles. It says here in verse 12, remember you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel's and, and strangers to the covenant of the promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. Circle the words, you were. This is your reality apart from Jesus. If you're, Once your identity is secured in Christ, you're grafted in. But imagine that you're standing on the outside of the border of a country and you want to get in, but there's a strong tower, there's a strong wall that's keeping you out. You're a foreigner. You're an alien. You don't belong here. You weren't born into citizenship. You have to gain it. And so Christ came and demolished the wall completely to separate us so that all who would come over, all the, who would cross over, so to speak, and identify themselves, put their faith fully in Christ and his work on the cross, we don't just gain citizenship, but it says in this text that we are inheriting a kingdom that we are now a part of God's body, that we are restored in relationship directly to God. But this you were, this you were reality is so important because in order for you to taste fully of the beauty of what God has done for you, in order for you to fully grasp this beautiful good news that we have in the gospel, we have to understand our condition apart from him. Apart from Jesus, we are separated, alienated. We have no hope and we are without God in the world. But verse 13 is a source of hope for us. But now, but now in Christ Jesus. So we have two, uh, two differing moments of our life. Our you were 
and but now in Christ Jesus. I was, but now in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you were, you who were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near. You were separated from God. We did not exist within the covenant. We were strangers to it. We were not keepers of this promise like the Jews were. But because of what Jesus did, we were brought near. This is the reason why there was so much turmoil for the Jewish leaders at the time against Jesus, pressing against this concept because Jesus came to fulfill the law that they had protected for thousands of years. And the fulfillment of this law looked a whole lot different than what they thought it would look or expected for it to look. They also believed that it was exclusive to them, to the Jews, because they were the ones who were called to protect it for the generations before Christ. But then Jesus comes in and he radically claims that he's going after the one. He goes after the sinners. He goes after the Gentiles. He sits with those who were on the outside of the boundary of citizenship. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32. This is a very commonly known story. And most of the time we focus on the prodigal who strays and then comes back and the arms of the father reach wide to come and welcome him in. But when Jesus is telling this story, he's speaking to the Jewish leaders. And this father has two sons. One of them is a faithful son who stays. And the other one is the one who asks his father to give him his inheritance, essentially saying, I wish you were dead already. Give me my money and let me go and spend it. And walks outside of the will of the father and goes and squanders all of his riches. He has all these fake friends. He's left in this pit with a bunch of dirty pigs and he's eating the pig food. And he thinks, if I return back to my father, even if I was just working as a servant, even if I was just eating the scraps off of his table, it would be a better existence for me than to stay here in my will. So he goes back to the father and he starts rehearsing what he's going to say to the father. And the father sees him a far way off and runs to him, like, you know, runs a mile down the road and meets his son with a loving embrace and then kills a fatted calf and throws a party for his son who has returned. And the other brother who stayed, who was faithful to the father, grows bitter. Why does he get a party? This makes no sense. Why does he get a party? I was the one who stayed. I should get the party. The older brother was representative of the Jews, the Jewish leaders who protected this promise. And then the prodigal son were, were the prodigal son, were the Gentiles who strayed and then were grafted back in by the mercy and the grace of God. The emphasis of the story really wasn't on the prodigal. It's on the older brother. Now, in our Western culture, We have a lot of entitlement. We talk a lot about rights. But the moment that that younger brother took his inheritance and left the house of the father, he forfeited all of his rights. He knew that the only way that I could even come and eat the scraps off the table in my father's house is if my father meets me with grace and mercy. There is no talk of rights or entitlement. It's I'm laying my life down as an offering to the father and repenting and turning back. 
And the beauty of God is that he meets us with this overwhelming love, a party, a fattened calf, open arms, a loving embrace, a restoration of relationship that really makes the older brother angry. And I, I so relate to this feeling. I often feel that way when I'm only thinking of my own human justice, my own measuring measure of right and wrong, what is and isn't good. But when we arrive to the scene of the cross, we come as immigrants. We don't come as citizens. Jesus makes us citizens. And then by his grace and through his blood, we are not just citizens, but we are heirs of the kingdom of God. And we are called his children. This is grace. This is love. And it should leave us in a position of praise and overwhelming gratitude. We do not deserve this right. Yet here we are living in the fullness of the blessing of God. And we are made fully secure, given every blessing in Christ in heavenly places. To God be the glory. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Peace, peace I give you, Jesus said. From the beginning of time, we've lived in a world that is at war with each other. Adam and Eve sinned and they felt shame and they hid themselves from God. Their very first two children are Cain and Abel. And Cain kills Abel out of jealousy. The first half of chapter two of Ephesians is speaking all about this restoration between us and God. But the second half is speaking about our restoration between one another through Jesus If we've experienced this hostility and war against mankind, one side or the other, from the very beginning of time, the question is asked, how can we find peace? Is peace on earth attainable? And verse 14 is the answer. Verse 14 says, he himself is our peace. Jesus provided unity. Now, unity is is two parts becoming one. You can't have unity if something is already one. It's taking two pieces and joining those pieces together. Jesus took the broken pieces of humanity and gave us unity through his blood. There is only level ground before the cross. He abolished the dividing wall of hostility, it says, and he did this with his body, with his life. He offered offered it down as a sacrifice for our sake. And as a result, we don't need to be at war with one another because we aren't fighting against one another. We're living in a perpetual existence of grace. And how did he do it? He broke down the dividing wall of hostility, which was the law of Moses. Jesus Christ dismantled this hostility by fulfilling all of the terms of the law with his own life and his death and his resurrection. All of the condemnation that comes from the law, all of the measuring up of behavior, all of the goodness in the eyes of humanity, all of the trying to be holy in our own strength is gone away with once Jesus enters the scene. No more animal sacrifices, no more 
action-based faith, no more works that give us righteousness, no more external actions that are supposed to cover this internal problem. Jesus and the blood of Jesus, what he did on the cross, transforms us from the inside out, making us a whole new creature. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, like it says in Galatians. Now, when we fully grasp that reality, that we are saved by grace, then this whole measuring one another up and I'm better than this person and war that we see in the natural, we no longer exist in that space. Because we recognize where we stand before the Father apart from the work of Jesus. So this hostility is put to death in us so that we could live a life of peace because he himself is our peace. And this dividing wall is abolished. Verse 15, he abolished the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. So that unity between two broken parts, between two different men, he's speaking about the Jews and the Gentiles. We're inheriting the same inheritance. There once was the division, and now there's a unity. And Jesus is the source of this peace. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. In verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Those who were far off, those were the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near, those are the Jews. This peace cannot be won through war. This peace could not be earned through righteous living apart from Christ. This peace could not be sustained in any other way than through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing about this peace that God gives to us. It is perpetual. It's a reality we exist in forever. It's never ending. When our eyes are fixed on him, when our identity rests in him, when we live engaged with his presence, we have peace. And even though the world is still gripped by pain and sin and the consequences of sin in our actions, even though there is still suffering in this world, we have a peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ. This battle in the spirit was won by Jesus. So to live in a place of hostility would almost be like declaring victory over a war and and peace has been commanded, but we're still living and behaving like we're in the middle of a battlefield. The battle belongs to our God. He's fighting for you. He's won the victory for you. Are you living from a place of victory or are you still believing in a law-based mindset that you have to earn your way into victory? Jesus finished it on your behalf. Now, why did he do this? Why did God do this for us? Verses 15 and 16 tell us he wanted to create unity, therefore making peace. Verse 16, that he would reconcile us both to God in one body and kill hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far off, peace to those who were near. 
We chose our way out of relationship with God in the garden. That choice made us estranged from God. We could not choose our way back, but Jesus offered us a way back to himself, back to the Father. When we respond to this grace, we are reconciled to God. The dead is wiped clean, friendship is restored, guilt is forgiven, and peace is established. And this fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 52, 7 that says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The motive of God is always his glory. What gives us, gives him glory is us existing in relationship and in a place of peace before him. He reconciled us for our own good and also for his glory and the fulfillment of his promise. Jesus fulfilled this promise in Isaiah 52, 7. He came and he preached peace to those who were far off and those who are near. And as a result, we have direct access to God through Jesus. We don't have to send a priest who's gone through purification rituals into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. We get to enter in ourselves. Does this challenge your perspective of who you are in Christ? Are there any natural boundaries that you think create a boundary in the spiritual between you and the presence of God? Are you believing that? Or have you distanced yourself from God because of your past or your physical circumstances? I challenge you, take this promise, enter into this reality that you get to draw near into the presence of God. Verse 18, for through him, We both have access in one spirit to the Father. There is one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. So now you're no longer strangers. This is your reality now. You are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. My passport is stamped by the blood of Jesus. My identification card, I identify fully as a citizen of heaven before any other natural reality, any other framework of your story. This is your final identity. You are a citizen with the saints. You are a member of the household of God. And this Uh, existence is built on a firm foundation. Verse 20 says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. This foundation of our faith is secured. There's no changing it. There's no wavering it. Just like Jesus spoke in the parable in the gospels, speaking about building your house on the sand or building your house on a firm foundation of the rock, which is Christ. It's him. It's himself. This is the foundation in which Christ built the church. And you and I get to be a part of this. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. We are a part of something living. It's not just a church building. We are the body of Christ, the church, you and I. Our bodies are living temples for the Holy Spirit. We are the church. There are no physical boundaries. It's the only structure that will grow for eternity and until. We are joined together and grown into a holy temple for the Lord. And verse 22 says, In him 
you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit in Him. Remember how that was repeated over and over and over again in chapter one, in him, in him, through him, by him, in him, in him. This is another reality that in him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. It's a work of the spirit. He's working in and through you. And you are a part of this living growth for eternity and until that God is doing through the church. Think about it through church history. Jesus died over 2,000 years ago, and yet still the power of God is able to transform lives, to take us from our you were into, but now in Christ. I was this. Now I am this. I was bound. Now I'm free. I was blind. Now I see. I was rejected. Now I'm accepted. I was abandoned. Now I have a family. I have a citizenship. I I am an heir of the kingdom of God. Uh, You were without hope. You were without God. You were without guidance. You were without direction. You were without peace. But now God himself became your peace and has provided every single one of your needs in Christ for his glory, for your good. This is the gospel. This is the finished work in Christ. A few questions before we close. First one is, have you experienced any hurt or hostility within the church? You might be listening to this thinking, well, we're supposed to be offering each other peace, but all I've experienced within the church is a broken example of what this peace is supposed to be. I've only experienced rejection and hurt and pain. I challenge you to look at Jesus as an example. How does Jesus' example challenge you in your love for those who have caused you harm? And secondly, evaluate your life and your relationships. Are there any relationships in your life that need restoration? At the beginning of 2019, I was at a prayer service and my pastor asked this question and I immediately began praying for a few family members that we did not have a right relationship with and believing that God would bring us back together again and restore our relationship. And God has been faithful over the last few years. We've seen that relationship flourish and restore and grow and be challenged. But it began with me recognizing and taking responsibility for me playing a part in this necessary work for restoration. Does the Holy Spirit bring anything to mind in you that you need to do or something that you need to take responsibility for? Act in obedience, offer forgiveness, and dwell within a full identity of the grace of God where you don't have to harbor any bitterness or hostility or division against any person, but fully agreeing with what Christ has said in his word that we are all made citizens by the grace of God. This is such a beautiful reality for us. So as we let this sink deep in our bones, let us enter in to the intimacy that God has prepared for every one of us. Go with God this week and allow this truth to lead the way. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you have a second, leave a review or post a comment here on the podcast page. 
It helps this podcast to be seen by other people so we can spread this message far and wide. I cannot wait until next week and I'll talk to you soon.